Good morning to each one this morning. Good morning. I'd like to welcome each one this morning to uh, God's house at Cypress Street uh, as we come to worship this morning, as we join our hearts and our minds and our souls together to worship God this morning. Uh, if we have a visitor this morning, we'd like to, for you to fill out a visitor's card and turn it in for us so we can get some information on you. And we also like to welcome each home folk that you're just as important uh, as anyone here in God's house. Um, in the way of announcements that uh, uh, we'd like to thank you for giving to our church and to supporting our uh, work that uh, is we're very commendable for each one. On this coming Wednesday night, uh, bring your favorite food and we'll all join together and have a, a potluck supper and, and devotion will be provided by Brother Ray. Next uh, Sunday morning will be Brother Ray Owens will be bringing our message. <clears throat> and on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, there will be no services so that each one can spend time with their families. And we'd like to thank each one that has helped in the uh, Operation Children's Christmas. Thank you once again for each one who's packed boxes and gave items or monies for processing for blessings and uh, countless children and their families around the world for kingdoms. Let's pray for all those to experience the love of Jesus through his shoebox gift and the greatest journey of the discipleship program. This is very commendable of each one of you in giving and uh, to the children that are in very need that they will be blessed this Christmas to open up a box and be blessed by the gifts that you've given. Carolyn has a word she'd like to uh, share with you. Last year, we helped to make Christmas really special for the ones in the orphanages in, in Guatemala that Carvin serves. And so the interest has been high for us to do that again. So the church council said, let's do it. So beginning today, you may make a contribution toward that effort. If you write a check, would you please make it to the church? If you want to give cash, you can hand it to James Vickery or me. And last year, there was plenty of money to have a Santa Claus party for them and to give the nannies uh, a little bonus too. And in addition to the Christmas uh, effort, we want to uh, provide for some piece of furniture for the uh, orphans to put their clothes in. When our group went down, they didn't find anything that was very substantial. And Carvin is acquainted with carpenters down there who are going to build it for us and it won't be a, a great expense. So we hope to get that done too. So we're asking for your help for us to make Christmas special for those children and their nannies in the orphanage. And you can begin to do that today and then we'll have two more Sundays after this. Carvin needs to send the money on December 1st. So if you would help us, we'd certainly appreciate it. When we look at what we're doing for children in our church, we just did all these boxes. And we're preparing bags for the Grace Place children. We did that last year too. And then we're going to work with, with this. So Christmas, children is really what Christmas is all about for celebrating, not what you or I are going to get, but what, it, what we can do for them. So we feel like this is a good thing for our church to do. Thank you for your help. Thank you. A week from this Thursday, we'll sit down and watch a, a parade, and then we'll watch a little football, 
And then we'll sit down at a meal with turkey and all the fixings. And we as Americans call that Thanksgiving. But that's only a day that we observe. Really, Thanksgiving is not just a day. It's the attitude that we have in our heart. In Psalms 95, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout uh, aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and exalt him with the music and the songs. For the Lord is the great, our great God. And as we go through this season of thanksgiving into Christmas, let us be thankful for what we have and what God has allowed us to enjoy. For so many people around the world do not have the luxury. And not just celebrate one day a year, but celebrate Thanksgiving 365 days a year. Let us pray. Dear Father, we're always thankful for what you have done for us, for the blessings of life and for health and happiness that we take for granted. We thank you for our love, for friendship, for the congregation here that we Cypress Street for each one that loves each one and for the fellowship that we have. Bless in this service today. Bless in each and every one that they receive a blessing for coming. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen. Are you ready to join us in our worship service this morning? Let's stand up and sing praises. Our God is lifted up. Our God is lifted up, miss the shouts of joy. Our God is lifted up, in the sounding of the trumpets. Our God is lifted up, miss the shouts of joy. Shout joyfully unto our God. Shout joyfully unto our God. Our God is lifted up, miss the shouts of joy. Our God is lifted up in the sounding of the trumpets. Our God is lifted up midst the shouts of joy. Shout joyfully unto our God. Shout joyfully unto our God. Let the trumpets make a joyful noise. Let us clap our hands and praise our God. For our God is lifted up. Up. Our God is lifted up on high. Let the trumpets make a joyful noise. Let us clap our hands and praise our God. For our God is lifted up. Our God is lifted up. Our God is lifted up on high. Beautiful. My faith looks up to thee and my faith still holds.
at this Oh, I'm sorry. I was cutting it short. Y'all can still sit down, but we do have one more song. <laughs> and it's a good one. This is amazing grace. We don't want to miss on that one. <laughs> the power of sin and darkness, who loves us mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. With trust and justice Shines like the sun In all of its brilliance The King of glory The King above all kings This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you should take my place That you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy. Worthy, worthy, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, 
that you would bear my cross. You lay down your life that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Aren't you glad we didn't miss out on that song? I'm so sorry we almost did that. <laughs> now, children, you may go down to your classes. It's always a pleasure to have Carvin to come and share with us what God laid upon his heart. We're thankful for each one that uh, is a part of Cypress Street and that as a loving family, uh, we're thankful that Carvin and Sandy can share with us the knowledge that they, the wisdom that they have uh, lived and, and the knowledge of the Bible that he has to share with us is a blessing to each one of us. In our prayer request this morning, we have pastoral search candidates, Lonnie Swan, Sandra Lawson, Jerry Crane, Larry Lawson, uh, Pastor Ray, Jamie, our country and our new elective leaders, Billy Ray Lowry, and victims of Hurricane Nicole, and also continuing to remember Larry Hayes, my brother-in-law, and my wife, Shirley, and each one that is in need of our healing touch from our Lord. Dear Father, we're thankful for a, a God that we can come to you knowing that you hear and understand our requests as we bring our petitions before you. We're thankful for the love that you've shown upon us, for the blessings that you bestow us upon each day as we get up and enjoy the day, the blessings that you've given to us. Just pray that you will anoint from on high as Brother Carlin comes and shares with us the Word of God. Bless him, dear Father, as he works in your kingdom, and thank you for him and Sandy and what they mean to us in our church. Thank you so much for all you do and what you're going to do these next coming weeks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So good to see each one of you here today. Somebody left the north door open last night, didn't they? But I'd rather have the cold weather than the 90s and plus that we often have here in Louisiana. Quite often when uh, I'm listening to someone else preach, God will give me a sermon, usually from that same text. And Sandy will elbow me, because I'll be writing down some notes. And I have to tell her, woman, don't quench the Holy Spirit, God has given me a sermon. <laughs> Then I do get elbowed. <laughs> but uh, that's how this sermon came about. I heard a sermon. It's been months ago. And then the sermon was good. Nothing wrong with it. But God gave me a different sermon coming from that same text. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. From Luke, the 17th chapter, verses 11 through 19. If you'd like to turn there with me. It's a very simple story, but it does have some valuable thoughts in it in relation to faith, and that's basically what I'll be preaching about this morning. So Luke, the 17th chapter, I'm going to just go a couple verses at a time to kind of elaborate a little bit on those and then give you three points that I saw in this lesson while I was working on it. Look at verses 11 through 13. 
On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and cried out or called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice verse 12. It says, they stood at a distance, which according to the old uh, laws of Moses, as it notes in uh, the book of Leviticus, they had to be at least 100 paces away from anybody else because uh, leprosy was considered very contagious and they were not to come very close to anyone. So they stood at least a hundred paces away from Jesus crying out to him to be healed. Uh, leprosy out of the 61 defilements listed in the Old Testament under the old Jewish laws, leprosy was number two as far as its seriousness to uh, their society. And anyone who was suspected of having this disease had to go immediately to a priest. The priest would examine him as a doctor would us today. And if that person was found to actually have leprosy, they were to wear torn clothes, let their hair hang down loose, which I see a lot of that today, but I don't think they have leprosy. But that was to show everybody that saw them that they had this disease and they were not to get close to them. And the person with leprosy, as they were approaching others, would also have to cry out, unclean, unclean. So the leper was considered unclean in several areas. In fact, all of his life, he was, he was considered unclean physically because he had this dreaded disease, this skin disease. He was unclean socially. He was not to interact with other people. And he was also considered unclean spiritually because he could not go to the local synagogue or the temple in Jew Jerusalem and worship with other people. He had to keep that distance. He could not attend the Jewish festivals that uh, the Israelites celebrated so often. Basically, the person with leprosy was doomed to a, a terrible life. Really had no future whatsoever. They lived away from the cities, the villages, usually in caves to uh, not associate with other people. We see the word leprosy or leper quite often in scripture and many times it does refer to the physical disease as it does here in our text today but oftentimes it is a symbol an illustration of sin just as uh, leprosy will destroy a person physically socially and spiritually the disease would also sin destroys so quite often you will see the illustration being used in that respect. So this helps us understand verse 12 when it says, They stood at a distance. That was according to the old Mosaic laws. In verse 14 it says, When he, and he refers to Jesus, saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now, the purpose of this was so he could declare that you have been healed. And it says, as they went, in other words, after Jesus told them to go show themselves to a priest, they left Jesus, and as they were leaving, they were cleansed. Uh, healed, not while in Jesus' presence, but after they had left. And this is what inspired me to put this sermon together this morning is they obeyed Jesus, expressed their faith in him before he had ever healed them. It was as they were leaving him. So by faith, they did what Jesus told them to do. They left him and were headed towards a priest. And then they realized that they had been healed. Not while in Jesus' presence, but after they had taken that first step of faith by leaving him and going towards wherever the priest was, that's when they were healed. And that will be really the foundation of this sermon this morning. Look at verses 15 
and 16. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. See, he'd already left Jesus. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Verse 16 says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. This, not only was he thanking Jesus for the healing that he had just received, the physical healing, but in a sense he is worshiping Jesus for who he is, not just for what he's done in his life. He thanked him, and according to the, uh, the original Greek here, it means he at that time was made complete as we'll see in the following verses. Look at 17 through 19. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he's calling him a foreigner because he was a, uh, a Gentile outside of what they considered the chosen people of Israel. Verse 19. Then he said to him, rise and go your faith has made you complete. Or some translations, the NIV says complete. Some of them say, say whole or they may say uh, perfect. That means that Jesus not only healed him physically, but spiritually. See, this man was not just interested in what Jesus could do for him when he was healed. But he also came to Jesus and worshipped him for who Jesus is. And so often people, I, I, I fear, worship Jesus or go to Jesus or pray to him for only for what he can do for them and not really because of who he is, the Son of God. But this leper, all ten by faith left Jesus to be healed. But only one wanted more out of life than his healing. He desired a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because somehow the Holy Spirit had revealed to him this Jesus is the Messiah. Now we may ask that why didn't Jesus heal the ten while they were still facing him or, or still, you might say, in his presence the only explanation I can come up with that, and you may have some, and you feel free to share them with me, is God usually doesn't act or react until, first of all, we have expressed our faith. Had they stood there, that would not really be an expression of faith. But once they turned around and headed towards a priest, then they were indicating their faith that Jesus was healing them. In Hebrews 11th, the 8th verse says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. We have no indication that when God called Abraham to leave his home in Ur and go to a land that he would eventually show him and to give him, we have no indication that Abraham said, well, let me get my kids raised first. Which, of course, that time he didn't have any kids. Or let me finish this job. Let me do this or that. Or let's negotiate. Let me go somewhere else, not where you want to, me to go. No, at that moment, when Abraham knew it was God speaking to him, he obeyed and went before he received what God had promised to give him. Also in Hebrews eleven thirteen, and you may want to read the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 when you have the time because it speaks so much about faith. But notice these words. All these people, which all those who had already been listed in the first part of Hebrews, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised them. In other words, their faith was expressed. And God was giving them some of the things he had promised, but not everything. But it was dependent upon them, first of all, putting their faith in Jesus Christ. When did God part the Red Sea? to allow the Israelites to flee from the bondage of Egypt and then go out towards the land of Canaan. When? You remember? When Abraham by faith 
raised the staff that God had given him over the waters. That was the moment that the waters parted. Not before, but after. And scripture says, then the wind held the waters until all the Israelites had crossed over on dry ground. Someone has estimated there was approximately 2 million people that left uh, Egypt. And if they stood 50 abreast, it would have taken about 24 hours for all of them to go over to the other side. So for 24 hours, God parted the water and kept them back. Kept the water back so they could go through on dry ground. I realize some people do not believe in that miracle. I read one person's opinion of how it happened. He said at that time of the year where the Israelites crossed over, it was only six inches of water. Uh, That's not what it says in Scripture. He can believe what he wants to believe. But let's suppose it was only six inches of water. It took a greater miracle for God to drown the Egyptian army in six inches of water than to part the waters. They would have never drowned in six inches. Uh, We've got to use a little common sense when it comes to interpreting Scripture. And we must, by faith, believe this is God's Word. It doesn't have errors. No, we will not understand all of it. Our youngest granddaughter sent an email yesterday about two Scriptures she did not understand and I, they were very difficult scriptures. I've never had to, to describe or tried to explain what those meant, but I spent the time doing some research last night and sent it to her. Haven't got a response. She may not understand the way I was trying to uh, explain it. But I told her, you know, God's word is God's word. We will not understand it completely. But allow God's word and his Holy Spirit to direct you to what is right and to what is wrong. When did God roll back or stop the flow of the Jordan River? Forty years later, when the Israelites were getting ready to go into Egypt. According to scripture, it was at the moment that the priest who was leading the people stepped foot in the water. Not before But he stopped the water when the priest stepped in the water. Stopped the river from flowing. How many of you you have prayed for something and as of yet you've not received an answer? Or how many of you know what God's will is but for reasons maybe you don't understand? It's just not coming together as you would hoped in your timetable. Maybe we need to exercise more faith and get our feet wet. Maybe we need to go ahead and step out if we know indeed it is God's will. And then allow God to react and intervene in our situation. Because often he does not do what we want him to do until first of all we have expressed our faith And then that enables God to do the incredible things in our lives. In fact, faith that is not exercised really isn't faith, is it? It's just a a word that has five letters in it. The word faith is found about 270 times in the scripture according to the translation that I use. And I understand it to be a necessary ingredient in our lives if we are to receive anything of significance from God. We cannot receive forgiveness unless first we have expressed our faith in who God is and that he is faithful. We cannot have our prayers answered until we by faith believe God is able to answer those prayers and will do it in his own timetable, not ours. See, I don't like God's timetable at, at, at times. I admit, I'd rather things go just the way I plan it, but it doesn't often do that. And God's timetable, after all, is perfect, is complete. But we cannot call ourselves children of God unless we are daily expressing our faith and living by that faith and not by sight. It is by faith that we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, believing 
He is God. And that through him and only through him we can be saved. And it is by faith that we are to live day to day until in the future our faith ushers us into the holy presence of God and we no longer need faith. So then we'll see him face to face. Then what is faith? What is faith? You'll see a definition in your outline coming from Hebrews 11.1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Focus on that word sure. And certain of what we do not see. I emphasize the word certain. Sure and certain. What do you hope for in life? There's a lot of things we hope for, but I would say the number one thing we hope for is eternal life in heaven with Jesus Christ. Forever and ever and ever. Have you ever seen heaven? I dare say you haven't. As far as I know, John and Paul were the only two that had that privilege. But don't we know? Aren't we certain that heaven exists? Why? Because God's word says it does. Not because some man says it, but God's word says it. And God's Holy Spirit ministers to us and gives us the convictions that we can trust God's word. We hope there is heaven, though we never have seen it. But our faith tells us it is real. I came across something probably 15 years ago. And any time I find something I think I can use in a sermon, I'll file it away in a certain file. I, you probably have heard this, but let me read it to you. And I quote, Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. End of quote. I love that. I don't know who wrote it. It really doesn't matter. I like it. Faith is believing, first of all, that God does exist, according to Hebrews eleven six, That he is real. He's not just some power. He is a person. Faith believes that he will reward us if we earnestly seek him, also coming from Hebrews 11. Faith is believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and there is no other way to have eternal life, John 20. And 31. Faith is believing that we have eternal life in his name, John 20, 31. Faith is believing that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 8 through 10. So we must believe and trust in the invisible of whom we have never seen, which is Jesus Christ in God. Even though I had one preacher tell me he saw Jesus when he was just a kid. Standing in his room. I don't question his sincerity. I don't question what he saw. I just do not understand it being Jesus. If it was, more power to him. I've never seen him with my physical eyes. But we must believe that he can do the incredible in our lives, which is beyond our imagination. As Paul wrote about in, uh, I think it's Ephesians 3, uh, verse 12 or so. And faith gives us the impossible, that which we cannot get by ourselves. And that would be everything we need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I don't know if you've ever read any of E.M. Bounds' writings, but he wrote a lot about prayer. And in a book entitled The Necessity of Prayer, let me just read one sentence, and I quote, before prayer ever starts toward God, before its petition is preferred, before its requests are made known, faith must have gone on ahead, must have asserted itself in the existence of God, must have given its assent to the glorious truth that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek his face. That is faith, end of quote. Or Virginia Whitman said it this way, and I quote, Faith is the bucket of power lowered by the rope of prayer into the well of God's abundance. Did you catch that? Let me repeat it. 
Faith is the bucket of power lowered by the rope of prayer into the well of God's abundance. What we bring up depends upon what we let down. We have every encouragement to use a big bucket. End of quote. I like that. Are you just getting thimblefuls? Maybe you need a bigger bucket. Maybe you need a bigger faith. A faith that has been exercised. Our Hope McDonald said this about faith. Faith is very much like electricity. It is always there, waiting to be used. But until we plug into the source, for all practical purposes, there is no power at all. Faith is the power waiting to be tapped. End of quote. You see, this one leper who returned to thank Jesus for what he had done and then worshiped Jesus for who he is. He entered into a personal relationship with God. I want to just quickly share with you three lessons, three practical things I saw in this text that we shared this morning. Number one, we are not worthy of God's mercy and grace. Verse 13 says, They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice what they asked for. Pity. They didn't really ask for healing, although no doubt that was their, uh, uh, their request, but they asked for pity. Did these lepers deserve to be healed? Well, from human perspective, the people of that day would have said no. And the reason being, they were outcast of society. They were thought to have sinned greatly against God, and God was punishing them with this uh, leprosy. Therefore, when they cried out in a loud voice, have pity or have mercy on us, basically they were saying, we do not deserve what you can give us. What did the prodigal son say when he returned to his father after being away for quite some time and squandering all of his, his goods? He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He realized he had messed up big time. He realized he had broken his father's heart and had spent all of his earthly goods on just nothing. And had nothing to show for it. But when he returned to his father, his father said, I forgive you. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Put the robe around him. Put sandals on his feet for this son of mine that was lost is now found. We're going to celebrate his homecoming. And he forgave him completely. I like Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. When he wrote his second letter to them and in the first chapter he says this. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of your calling. In other words, they were called children of God. They had already accepted Jesus. And Paul is praying that they would somehow come to realize they were not worthy of the death of Jesus Christ. And they were praying that God would make them feel worthy of being a child of God. And then he goes on to write, And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by what? Faith. Faith. So Paul is saying that the faith that they had expressed in Jesus when they asked for forgiveness... Now he's saying your faith can make you worthy even though you were not worthy in the beginning. So everything that we receive from God is an act of love. It's an act of his mercy and his grace in response to our faith. Number two, our faith must be exercised before we receive God's mercy and grace. And I've already talked some about this. In verse 14 it says, When he, being Jesus, saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. And I just 
emphasize again, they were not healed while they were there with Jesus. But only after they expressed their faith, knowing that Jesus would heal him, after they had left his presence and were headed towards a priest who could confirm that they indeed were healed, that was the act of faith that prompted the healing of these men. There's so many examples in the Bible that how our faith exercised causes God to react, especially when it comes to salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. I believe this is also in your outline. Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes, whoever believes, or whoever has faith in God and then trust him to do so and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In other words, it takes an act of faith before we can ever receive forgiveness of our sins. Luke seven fifty, And he said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Or Acts 16 and 30. Then he, that was referred to the Philippian jailer, brought them, that would be Paul and Silas, out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In other words, put your confidence, your faith, your trust in Jesus, and that leads to your salvation. What about healing? I think I gave you one scripture reference. 1528, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In other words, she had the faith, and then Jesus reacted by healing. Or the one that we think of the most, and I didn't put this in your outline because of space, James 5, 13 through 16. If anyone among you in trouble... Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, and I emphasize that, will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise him up. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In other words, if we want healing, then we should, by faith, ask for it. And trust God will do it. I don't know about you, but I, I read a lot of uh, books and information on missions because that's my main ministry now. But in the 1800s, when Hudson Taylor was on a ship going to China. He served as a missionary there for, I think, 51 years. It was a sail ship. Didn't have the modern convenience of ships we have today. And as they were nearing the channel between the southern Mela uh, Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary Hudson heard a knock on his door. And he opened the door, and there was the, the captain of the uh, ship. And Hudson asked, well, you know, what do you want? What do you need? He says, we don't have any wind to blow our sails in the right direction. And we're drifting towards an island that is full of heathens. In other words, they have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I believe, from what I understand, they're cannibals. So you might consider they're in a precarious situation going towards a place where they could literally lose their lives. And Hudson said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I understand you're a man of God. Will you pray for wind? And the missionary said, yes, I'll pray. But first of all, you must lift up the sails of the ship. And the captain said, there's not the slightest bit of wind Plus, my men will think it's ridiculous. But after some time, he finally relented and lifted them up. And about 45 minutes later, the captain came back and knocked on Hudson's door. And he said, you can quit praying now. We've got more wind we know what to do with. <laughs> but the sails had to be opened first before God reacted. I like what William uh, McBurney said, and, I, and probably he may have taken it from that, that story, I don't know. He says, 
When we pray for rain, we should get our umbrellas ready, end of quote. You probably have heard that before. Dr. Martin Lord Jones, who was a pastor in London years ago, he wrote this about uh, faith. I'm going to read it word for word because I'm uh, fearful I might leave out something. He says, faith is holding on to the faithfulness of God. I, I like that. Holding on to the faithfulness. If we didn't think God was faithful, we wouldn't have faith. But we hold on to that fact. That's who he is. He's not going to disappoint us. He says, holding on to the faithfulness of God. And as long as we do that, we cannot go wrong. Faith does not look at the difficulties. Faith does not look at itself or at the person who is expressing faith. Faith looks at God. Faith is interested in God only. And it talks about God and it praises God and extols the virtues of God. The measure of the strength of a man's faith always is ultimately measured by his knowledge of God. Have you ever thought about that? I had never thought about that. The more we know God and know of him, that should increase our faith. Then he goes on. One last sentence. He knows God so well that he can rest on the knowledge and it is the prayers of such a man that are answered. You see, we don't have any guarantee to receive anything of significance from God until first he sees our faith. Until first we have stepped out trusting him for whatever we need in life. One last thing I'd like to share with you in closing. Number three. Thanksgiving and worship are a proper response of one who has been made complete, or as the scripture means, saved. And I take it from verses 15, 16, and 19. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then verse 19, then he said to him, which is Jesus, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well, which means whole, complete, or saved in his relationship with Jesus Christ. In reference to our hope of eternal life through Jesus' resurrection, Paul wrote, or Peter wrote these words in his first letter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In all of this, and we had to go back, he was talking about the trials and tribulations of, of life. You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer great grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven guaranteedness or genuineness of your faith of greater worth and gold, which will perish even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. And I would call that faith also. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me leave just two verses with you in closing. If you're still in Luke, the 17th chapter, look at verses 5 and 6. Because as I was trying to wrap up this sermon, I was trying to determine, well, how can we increase our faith? What must we do? And we see the apostles ask the same question, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And notice what Jesus said in reply. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. From what I understand about the mustard seed, it was the smallest seed that the Israelites used in their gardens. And if they allow that mustard seed to uh, continue to grow rather than harvest it, it would become a small tree. A tree big enough that uh, Jesus said in another place, even the birds of the air will make their nest in it. So what does that have to do with our faith? 
Well, being raised in farming country, as most of us were, and I worked on the farm as a kid from the time I was 14 through uh, 19 until I started college, seeds do not bear fruit if they are not planted. Now, I know that's deep. That's theological, isn't it? I know you learned something today. If it's kept in the sack in the barn, it will eventually end up rotting. But if the seed is planted in the soil and cultivated, tended to, it will grow and grow and grow. And that's why Jesus is saying, what faith you have, even if it is as small as a mustard seed, cultivate it, nourish it, exercise it. And the more you do so, the more it will grow. It's like the muscles of our body. The more we exercise our bodies, I've been told, not that I do it, <laughs> they grow stronger, don't they? We are healthier. Why don't we do our faith that way? What is it in your life right now that needs to be done? What is it that you have been praying for or wishing for? Are desiring that you would receive. Maybe you need to do like the priests, step into the water. Get your feet wet. See what God will do. See how He will answer that prayer. It may not be in your timetable. It may not even be the way that you'd hoped. He may give you something even better. But it would always, always be the best that you could have. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads this morning. Be in an attitude of prayer. You know, for two years, and I'm going to just make this personal, for two years we've been praying for a pastor. And after you've listened to Ray and I for two years, you ought to be getting more sincere in your prayers. <laughs> you ought to realize we need one desperately. I don't know why we haven't received one yet. Maybe it's because we're not exercising enough faith. Maybe we have not spent enough time praying about it. And sometimes, according to Scripture, we do not get what we ask for until we fast and pray. Now, we're fixing to, in a week or so, be feasting. How many of us are going to be fasting? And I speak of myself also. Maybe we need to set aside a time each week to fast. Maybe just one meal and pray, God, your will be done. Our church needs to go forward. There needs to be someone who can lead us in the right direction. You may have something in your life right now that you're dealing with. And perhaps you're saying, Lord, just give me the faith. Well, I would say you already have faith or you wouldn't be here this morning. I'm going to just encourage you to exercise the faith you have. Let it grow. Trust God more. And know that He can do the incredible, the impossible more than you can ever dream of, ask for, or imagine. Because that's who He is. He's God. So this morning as we stand and sing a few verses of an invitation, if you have a need, I invite you to come. If you want to pray by yourself, you can come to the altar or these pews up here. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm going to ask that you come to the altars. So let's stand together as we sing this morning.
Thank you.